Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Joined, as always, by Mr. Ross Binder, our managing editor, Adam Jacoby, publisher of our site as well. And boy, oh boy, we have quite a few things to talk about today between basketball, football, the portal, and more. Also, don't forget... Signing day coming up here soon for football. 20 recruits in the 2024 class expected to sign with Iowa. We're getting ready for that. Talking about it before we hopped on the pod here. Going to have a ton of content for you and all your friends on iowa.rivals.com. While you're here on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode from us. We're here twice a week. Got some great content for you and some premium content on iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe if you're not a subscriber yet now first thing we want to hit today men's basketball and boy is it rough last night another blowout loss 90 to 80 to Michigan and no it doesn't look like a blowout loss when you look at it on its face but if you watch the game you know it was and to quote Mr. Ross Binder himself if Fran doesn't have to watch the game I shouldn't have to either Fran gets kicked out, second tech in in the game. I believe that was in the halfway through the second half, somewhere in there, and uh, got sent off by an ovation. The rest of the uh, fans that were there in in uh, Carver and his wife right behind him, clapping him all the way up the tunnel. So Ross, you and I both watched that. Man, I, I wrote that three takeaways article, but was there anything? And we can hit on that, of course. But is there anything that? maybe I missed or that I wrote that you really connected with from that game because it was so ugly. I, yeah, I mean, you definitely didn't miss anything. I think it was just a case where, you know, that game, it was close in the first half. Like it was, was it tied at halftime? I mean, two point game, two point game at halftime. And then it was just a complete avalanche in the second half. Like Iowa made a couple of buckets to start the second. And then Michigan just went on, you know, one of those runs that we've seen teams do go on against Iowa uh, a lot, uh, especially this year. But, you know, we've seen it before in, in other years past, too. But, you know, it's one of those runs where the other team just starts making buckets and can't stop and Iowa can't stop them. And so all of a sudden, you know, what be, what starts out as a, you know, two, not, four, nothing, six, nothing run. You look up and now how did this turn into like a 20 to two run or something? And that's what happens. And that's how the game just gets completely out of hand. And uh, to me, it just comes down to this team can't get stops on defense. It is really, really bad. And it just, you know, the, the ball pressure is not there. The defending at the rim is not there. You know, defending at the perimeter is not there. It's just, you know, teams can do whatever they want against Iowa, it feels like. And they get a lot of easy buckets, a lot of open looks. And not surprisingly, those start going in and it gets really hard to uh, to stop. And especially this Iowa team, it feels like on offense, they get very panicky once the uh, the other team starts making shots and the, the deficit starts growing. And so then the offense, you know, the motion, the movement's not good. They start jacking up shots. A lot of, you know, threes that aren't the best idea, especially early in the shot clock. And that turns into uh, long rebounds and, you know, run out opportunities for the opponent. And it's just a, a really vicious cycle that they have a, a very difficult time breaking. So 
probably what you saw in person too, Elliot. Last night, they were 28 of 64 from the field and 5 of 20 from three. Started the game 1 of 15 from three. Now, three-point yeah, shots. I mean, they made, go I ahead, Ross. Say, they, made, they made threes right at the end of the game. Like you mentioned, that 10-point you know, final margin not reflecting the score, and that's true because Peyton Sanford made two threes with under a minute to go that you know chopped the lead from like 16 or 18 down to 10. So it's like, oh, it doesn't look that bad. Now, they were down by 20 for like most of the second half. So Josh Dix in particular, Josh Dix in particular is the one that sticks out to me from the three-point shooting, 0 for 4 from three. And all of them, if I remember correctly, if not th- just if not all of them, three of them, I clearly remember wide open. Wide open. Yeah. Sometimes Sometimes that's just basketball. Sometimes it happens three-ish games in a row. Sometimes you start your first start at Iowa, I think it was, against Iowa State. You turn the ball over twice in the first three minutes and 30 seconds, 37 seconds. Sorry, Josh, got to give you that extra seven seconds. Um, And commit two fouls within that span as well. Having a rough go of it at this moment in time, that – Brief spurt was not to put all the blame on Josh Dix. I promise. I promise. Not oh, at all. Team loss. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You don't lose by uh, twenty five and and blame the starting point guard who only played however many minutes. But this team, to me, at this point in time, appears to be in a rebuilding year. You've got three seniors in the starting lineup. One of them being a Valparaiso transfer. And he has been your best player to this point in the season. Ben Cricky, for how skilled he is and how phenomenal he was at Valpo and how good he has been to start the year, cannot be your best player. If you want to compete in the Big Ten, that's not the way you can operate. He's an awesome number two, and he's a scorer, and he's been a bright spot, especially as a transfer to start this year. But that's just not the way... You need to operate. You got to have a go-to guy that's not a six-nine big, who's you know comparatively to like Terrace Reed last night. That's a guy you're going to see a lot as a center in the Big Ten, and he dominated both Owen Freeman and Ben Cricky. And again, I, I think this is something that they'd agree with. These are guys that are tough to match up with, and you're going to see them a lot yeah, in against teams like Michigan. Yes. And Michigan moves to five and five, largely because of that Big Ten presence, or excuse me, that big presence um, in and around the post. And then you look at Zach Eady, and then you look at Robert Jones, and then you look at Ryan Kalkbrenner. Now, you're not going to run into Zach Eady. You're not going to run into Kalkbrenner every night, but you're going to run into Terrace Reed a lot for that body type. And if you can't body up with these guys, this is a scenario where part of me almost thinks, well, Maybe if Josh Agundale stayed, <laughs> which is a hell of a thing to say, but you've got five bigs that you can play right now. Ben Cricky, Owen Freeman, Laji Dembele, and Evan Bronze. And there's a fifth in there that I'm thinking of. Uh, Riley Mulvey? Because he's red shirt. It's not. Re- okay. You got four bigs that you can play yeah. right now. Um and none of them match up with that body size particularly well. One, because Freeman is a freshman. He's still got to get in the weight room. He's got to put on that weight. Uh, Terrace Reed had 30 pounds, 35 pounds on Owen Freeman last night. Yeah. Ben Cricky isn't used to that type of physicality because he's been in the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, 
He's also six nine, and he's more of a skilled type of big. He's not a you know. He's not a bump. banger. Yeah, exactly. He's not a banger. Laji Dembele will be able to compete with some of those guys just because of sheer athleticism. He's just, he's just too raw. Evan Bronze just is not a guy that's getting a ton of minutes this year. Yeah, and he he played in the first half last night. I ran into him after the game. I said, "Oh, you got those first half minutes." I was like, "Let's go." I I know Evan pretty decently well because of uh, articles we wrote here. Super good dude, uh, but didn't play in the second half. Patrick McCaffrey is the other one I was thinking of, who's six nine, not exactly a big. Yeah. You can he's yeah right. He's he's a four star kid coming in from Iowa City, and you can tell that he never really had to deal with that physicality at the at, at the four A level in Iowa. Yeah, four for twelve last night, two of five from three, just two rebounds. These are issues that you're going to run into all season, and if you can't make up for it offensively and in speed. And in getting out in transition, then it's going to be a long, long, dark, dark winter. The fact that Freeman and Dembele are freshmen really can't be overstated. You look at their stat line against Michigan. They combined for 30 minutes on the court and seven fouls. You can't, and, and those are two very Freeman started and probably should be starting going forward, right? These are, these are heavy rotation guys who could not stay on the floor because of what Michigan was doing to them. And we're not talking about Michigan state. We're not talking about Kansas. We're not talking about the Los Angeles Lakers. It's five and five Michigan. And these guys aren't prepared. Seems to be that they're not prepared for, a task like that quite yet and either they get up to speed during the season either the game slows down for them in real time or like you said it's going to be a long season and there really aren't a whole lot of easy wins in the big 10 this year where there aren't a whole lot of get right games especially when you've got four freshmen in your rotation and other new faces, right? Iowa will be some teams' get-right game this year. That's a tough place to be, especially for a uh, program like this, where perennially they're the team on the on the right side of the bubble. They're the ones going to March Madness, sometimes even with high seeds. So this is going to be a tough pill to swallow. And it's going to test a lot of these guys, especially the upperclassmen. It's probably really going to test their patience. It's going to test their commitment to the program. And it's going to test their work ethic because there aren't a whole lot of opportunities for glory. The way this team is playing, there aren't a whole lot of opportunities for glory in front of them. Uh, Right now, Ken Palm has Iowa projected at 16 and 15, 8 and 12 in the Big Ten. Eight wins from this team that we've seen so far seems optimistic. Seems really optimistic. And and there are some, you know, some teams not having a great year in the Big Ten. This isn't the Big 12 necessarily, where it's just that 
you know, you're walking into buzzsaws every week, but you're pretty close in the Big Ten this year. I think Iowa's better than Penn State. I think Iowa's better than Minnesota. Maryland's having a tough year. Oh, there aren't really a whole lot of opportunities there. Like, these guys have to figure something out, figure it out quick. I think they need more upperclassmen leadership, candidly. And whether you want to put that back on coaching, whether you want to put that on the players, you know, they know inside that facility. And it, and it, and honestly, the answer is probably both to some degree. But, you know, they're acutely aware in that facility that these things aren't going great. They're, they know that Iowa, their best win is, you know, a neutral court Seton Hall game. And Seton is not a good team this year. All right. They, they know that those wins aren't there. They know that they've got this challenge in front of them. And they know that whatever this rotation is, isn't working. I don't know if they need to shore it up. I don't know if this needs to become a youth movement sooner rather than later. Probably, maybe. But what is happening right now is not sustainable and doesn't look, you know, it, it it's a bad look for the program as a whole. Honestly, I mean, this is, you're already the second best basketball program in Iowa City. Second most popular, certainly. Tough, but true. And you're already trying to get more than half the seats filled in Carver. You got to figure something out. You got to figure out a way that's going to bring fans back in that building. Giving up 90 points to Iowa State, Michigan, almost that much to Purdue. Not a great start. I will say here, <laughs> I'm not kidding. For a moment, Ross, or sorry, Adam, you said the second best team in Iowa City. For a moment, I went, is Iowa City West supposed to be that good this year? <laughs> 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 Jack McCaffrey's a four-star, but where? what's going on? <laughs> so I want to I wanna go back to the point about Ben Crickey. Awesome number two. He's got that midi. He's really shifty. I mean, not shifty necessarily, but he's very skilled. Like, that's the thing that stands out about Ben Crickey. Really soft touch. I tweeted it out last night. I think he has too soft a touch around the rim to miss as many free throws as he does. I think he's shooting like 70% from the free throw line. I, you know, you hope that's with a big, that's pretty good. But with a big that's skilled like that, you probably want it closer to 80. And when I saw 70, I was surprised. Um, from the free throw line, I'm just going to double check right here to make sure 73. percent He's at yeah, he's at 73. Yeah, which yeah. does that surprise you, Ross? It kind of does because he's such a good mid range shooter that you know right. I would kind of think he'd be a little bit closer to 80. Um, and I mean he's attempted like 50 free throws now, so like it's not a you know super small sample size or anything. Sure. Um, yeah, so, I mean. I, I would think he'd be a little better. Hopefully maybe it gets better over the course of this season. Um, sorry, what were you going to say? So with Cricky as your first option offensively, what that has resulted in with the way these guys are shooting the ball, with the way the ball is moving, with the way that they're, they were better last night in terms of off-ball movement, screens, running around, they were better. Still not where it needs to be. But what this does to them, having Ben Crickey as their best option offensively, is it puts him in the paint 
with two bigs that he's probably, if not the same size as smaller than and less athletic with little time to work towards the end of the shot clock. What it is, is it's side to side ball movement. It's east to west ball movement. And then, oh, crap. Better get the ball to our best player. And then he's in a situation where he is not set up to succeed in the paint, having to force up a shot and or getting blocked, fouled. Fouled is like the preferred situation if he's not able to use some of that skill, use pump fake, whatever, and and get up and get an and get a layup. And what you don't have right now because of that, because of the lacking of athleticism, which is fine. Again, if he's your number two, Ben Cricky is a phenomenal number two. But you don't have that athletic guy that can go and get you a bucket. You want that to be Peyton Sanford. You want that to be Tony Perkins. You want that to be Patrick McCaffrey. Right now, it's not. I think he Patrick McCaffrey was 0 for 3 from the field with a rebound or two, maybe none against Iowa State. I'd have to go back and look. But he's not the not that guy. Peyton Sanford was just he's just really struggled. He missed two technical free throws last night. When was the last time yeah. you saw him miss back-to-back free throws? And Tony Perkins, some of the shots that he put up last night were pretty ill-advised, in my opinion. Iowa had four on two in a fast break situation last night and resulted in a three-point shot by Peyton Sanford that he missed. Things are are awry in a variety of ways. These guys aren't making shots. Things are disjointed offensively. There was a possession last night where it looked like Owen Freeman and Tony Perkins made eye contact in the paint, and they both set screens at the same time, looking like they were trying to set screens for each other. Like, where I'm at right now, what I thought last night, the motion offense provides a ton of freedom. And when you have veteran basketball players who know basketball, who have been around each other a lot, that is really fun. You get up and down the floor. You know each other's game. You can score in, in so many different ways. And it, it shows that the coach has a huge amount of trust in his players. It's not it, it It's not flowing like it should. The offense has no flow. It's disjointed. Things aren't going the way they should. Are you at a point right now where you're Fran McCaffrey and think, maybe it's time to set up some actions, some sets and actions to go off those sets. Run some plays. Do something for an easy bucket. Because buckets are not coming easily. I had, uh, forgive me, uh, Jamel McMillan, former Pelicans assistant coach on my podcast when I was covering the New Orleans Pelicans. For those of you, I think I've talked about it once or twice, but new listeners used to cover the New Orleans Pelicans, never been to Louisiana. Anyway, I had Nate McMillan, former Pacers head coach, is he still the head coach of the Hawks? I don't know. Long time NBA guy too. He, yeah. he was a uh, supersonic for forever. Great. So great, I uh, guard. I had his son Jamel on my podcast when I was covering the Pels. He was a former assistant with the Pels, and then he joined me following that. And the way he summed things up for the Pelicans during that COVID season, 2020-2021 season, everything they do is hard. Everything is hard. Yeah, that sums up Iowa right now. Everything is hard. Yeah, that's that's how I feel watching the Iowa football offense like every year. Every, <laughs> everything yeah. they do is hard. Yeah. But that's not usually a feeling that we've had watching the basketball offense. Like since Fran has been here, like the offense flows like there are issues on defense for sure. But the offense. 
Defense has rarely been an issue. It flows, it moves, you know, guys get good looks, guys score buckets. But you're right. Like this year, there are some real problems in that flow and it's, it's popping up. I mean, you talked about the opponents. They've played six teams this year with a pulse, I would say, you know, uh, Creighton, Oklahoma, Seton Hall, Purdue, Iowa State and Michigan. You know, the other four game, five games are just the bye games. They're one in five in those games against, you know, decent or better opponents. And in the five losses, the only one that was close was the Creighton game. And that was kind of sort of close. Um, You know, the other games have just been, they dig just enormous holes and, you know, like the Purdue game or the Michigan game, like they, they have these late little comebacks that make the final margins look a little bit more respectable, but they're not actually in the game. Like it's not a, like, Oh, Iowa has something going on here. They're coming back. Um, And it's just like that level of not competitive against, you know, capable teams is a really alarming sign at this point in the season. I mean, they, they're some tough teams on the schedule. Like Oklahoma's mm-hmm. good. Purdue's really good. Iowa State should be ranked. If they're not ranked this week, I'll be shocked. Yeah, but they should yeah. definitely um, be ranked. They're yep. good. And they yeah, don't have their best big. Good. Right. Um, so, I mean, obviously the schedule is part of this, but schedule is the schedule. Like, you still got to play who you play, and you got to look competitive against them. And they're really struggling with that right now. One area where they're really having trouble and which is a concerning thing because it's under their control is rebounding. One, this team is too big to be out rebounded Two, the seniors and the bigs are not the ones leading the rebounding effort. And that's troubling because you would want that really, really competitive hustle play to be coming from your seniors first and, you know, trickling down to your freshmen and your, your newer faces. But you look at rebounding rates, who on this roster do you think has the fewest offensive rebounds when adjusting for like how, how often, like who do you think has the lowest offensive rebounding rate on the team? I've got it in front of me. So I, I, I'm not going to cheat. Ross, Ross? Who, who do you think gets the fewest uh, offensive rebounds on this team? Probably like um, uh, McCaffrey, Patrick, maybe. Yep. At zero Mini golf clap for Ross. <laughs> so, so that is essentially one offensive rebound in about 250 opportunities. His defensive rebounding is fine. In fact, it's the second best on the team if you don't count Evan Bronze. And, you know, Evan barely plays. Of the rotation guys, it's the second best. So, like, it's not that he's dogging it when he's on the court, but he's not getting offensive rebounds, which means you've got a 6'9 guy who's just not interested in uh, prolonging possessions. And this is a team that could really stand to to get some points because they're not getting those stops either. What was the stat we saw, Ross? How many possessions in a row did Purdue 
score against Iowa because it was double digits and it was was it like 15 16 17 but that many uh, trips yeah. that they had scored on it was like 11 yeah, or 13 sure is what I heard it's yeah. double digits either way is very bad yeah and yeah. if you yeah. can't string stops together and we haven't seen this team string stops together you're gonna keep losing because the, the old axiom is, if you want to start a run, get some stops. If you want to stop a run, get some stops. Iowa has not been getting those stops, and they just keep getting avalanched like this. I'm Honestly, I think a big part of it is upperclassmen hustle and effort. That needs to be more consistent, especially away from Carver-Hawkeye Arena. These guys have not figured out how to play away from Iowa City, and that has been the case for years. And one of the exciting things about this large class of new faces, freshmen, transfers, et cetera, I mean, honestly, one of the most exciting aspects of that was the fact that they might be young and new enough that they don't have that baked-in like road tax that they have to pay that apparently the upperclassmen do because – even going back to last year, they were shooting about 15% worse on the road than they were at Carver. Your upperclassmen should not be falling victim to that year after year after year. I, on some level, you sort of have to put that on the coaches, I would say. But also, it's sort of a, you know, players have to decide that this is it, right? This is my opportunity to, you know make a make a stand and sort of salvage the season but also when we're looking at rebounding rates gosh cricky is not that good on either the offense or defensive side of the ball and we're talking about the guy who's supposed to be the best player on the team the big the 69 245 he's getting fewer his offensive rebounding rate is worse than Peyton Sanford's his defensive rebounding rate is worse than Peyton Sanford's it's worse then uh, his offensive rebounding rate is worse than, uh, oh no, his defensive rebounding rate, sorry, we'll, we'll fix that in post, is worse than Price Sanford, right? Cricky. <laughs> Cricky Took me a second. Got, <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. He's got to be aggressive at the boards. Otherwise, none of this is going to work. And he's got to do it on both ends of the floor. He is, I, I get that he has some, you know, athletic limitations in terms of his bounce, you know, that that quick twitch stuff, but he has great footwork. Like that is how he's so skilled on the interior. His footwork's amazing. And you would think, you would hope that he's able to use that footwork, get yourself in position, block out, go up there and understand that there's going to be another 6'9", 245 guy trying to beat you for the ball, win that anyway. Do it consistently. And if Iowa starts to get that out of their best players, presumably, I think we can see this sort of the ship sort of right itself. But if they don't start getting that from their seniors soon, at some point you have to wonder, why are you sitting Brock Harding for these guys? Why are you sitting at, uh, you know, Owen Freeman on the bench for these bigs, right? Why is, if, if you're going to lose, let the kids take their lumps and grow as players at the very least. Why did you take DeSante Bowen out of the starting lineup? Yeah. 
Why, why is that the move to get Owen in there? I, it, so he took Josh out, or he, sorry, he put Josh in the starting lineup against Iowa State, yeah. took DeSante out. But, yep, yep, yep. And I don't mind Tony at the one. Ultimately, like, I thought Tony was more aggressive. I thought he appeared to be more confident with the ball in his hands last night when he started at the one. He didn't have much to say about it post game, and Desante didn't either. After Iowa State, he's like, "I'm just going to do what I need to do," which is great. I've been really impressed with Desante. I want to see more of him. Now, the issues with him and with Owen are fouls. That's what you're just yeah. going to run into. Owen got into foul trouble last night. Two fouls in the first half. Otherwise, he was he was good, and I thought he brought a spark to the team that hadn't really had it otherwise. Um, the, I, I got a video of it. It's on Twitter. It's on TikTok. It's on YouTube. It's on Instagram of the, of Carver arena, uh, going nuts when, when Owen was announced as a starter, they went crazy. Foul rate is the issue, mm-hmm. but at the same time, when the team is struggling the way it is offensively, you have to take the bad with the good, so to speak, as opposed to the good with the bad. Or the good with the bad. Yeah, the good with the bad is the right way to put it. But you have to take the good with the bad. And right now, Owen and DeSante are some of the tangible good. DeSante is one of the few guys on this roster right now that is a guard that I see as gets the ball, I trust him going to the hoop. He's also making 90% of his free throws right now. He's missed two free throws all season. You want that guy on the court. And last night, I'd, I'd have to look to see, but I don't believe he played a ton of minutes last night. Um, comparatively, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look right now. I'm pulling up the box score. But, like, it's it's just confusing. And, and to me, from this, from the vantage point of – you know, being outside the program, you know, being near the program, but being outside the program as a beat writer. And I'm sure fans are starting to think this too. Put Patrick on the bench, man. Light a fire under his ass. Like Bowen, Bowen had, I was going to say, Bowen had 13 minutes and he had a team high five assists in those 13 minutes. 13 minutes? One of the most impactful guys on your roster on the offense right now when he's playing 13 minutes? That can't happen. He's not the shooter that a Josh Dix is on a typical basis, but Josh Dix went 0-4 from three last night. Yeah. What's going on here? Oh, we're yeah. seeing it. We're we we're we're going with what we see in practice. <laughs> Where have we heard that before? Also, like, I do we don't need to go the nepotism route, right? Like, we don't no, need no, to do no. that. But no. like no, it- Patrick in my opinion, should be the guy off the bench in order to light that fire under his ass. And because DeSante is one of the few bright spots that has been in the starting lineup. And so is Owen, right? Like when you've got, (laughs) you've got three guys in the starting lineup who are six, nine plus two, six, nine, one, six, 10, and you're getting beat that bad on the boards. Yeah. Like, like something's, something's not right here. Yeah, I mean, and like Fran's trying, he's changed up the starting lineup twice, but he's just not doing the thing that (laughs) appears that needs to be done with the starting lineup, right? I I think after the game yesterday, he said he started Freeman because Michigan had went uh, had two big lineup themselves, right? So that's why he started Freeman and Cricky. So I mean, I'm interested to see 
going forward, does Freeman stay in the lineup or was that just a situational thing? Well, I I hope it stays because he's, he's one of the hardest workers on the glass. And that is one way to make sure that you get stops is to get defensive rebounds. And I trust him to end a team's possession, especially in the big 10 where, I mean, so many of these teams have the personnel and the gumption to, you know, go for offensive rebounds. Like this is a really, really, really tough conference one to 14 to rebound in just straight out, you know, how football is, you got to be able to, you know, play on the lines in the big 10 in basketball, you have to be able to rebound. Otherwise you're going to get skunked. And I don't see the effort on the rebounding front is except from really from Peyton Sanford, from Owen Freeman. It's about it. It needs to be more than that. It just has to, especially when Owen Freeman is committing fouls at such a rate that it's tough for him to stay on the floor. It, the effort just has to be better. Now, what I will say is going forward, Iowa's next three games, Florida A&M and the Hy-Vee Hawkeye Showcase on Saturday, of which, Adam, are you covering both games then, or how are we going to do that? Because I'm going to be yeah. at Family Christmas. Sorry, guys. I'll be there. Yep. All right. Adam will be at both games. Followed by UMBC on the 20th. That's also signing day. Oh, that's going to be brutal. (laughs) Anyway, um, and then the 29th, Friday the 29th, before I leave, before we leave for Orlando. And then you're in the Big Ten schedule where they face Wisconsin on January 2nd, the day after the bowl game. So you've got three games here that you should win. Mm -hmm. Florida A&M. UMBC, Northern Illinois. I don't know anything about Florida A&M basketball. I know UMBC upset Virginia in 2019 as the first 16 seed to beat a one seed. And I know Northern Illinois played UNI last year. And UNI has not had a good start to the year. But last year they were very young and, and lacking talent severely. And UNI beat NIU. NIU is not a basketball school. They're not good at basketball. So... These are three wins that should come fairly easily in these next couple weeks. And then you get into the basketball schedule for the Big Ten Conference, at least to the thick of it. And you've got three get-right games. Iowa started 0-3 in the Big Ten last year. They've got these three games in order to work through things, maybe avoid that. But it's also at Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin is number twenty three in the country at this point in time. And playing so, at the Kohl Center is like pulling teeth. It's oh, it's so brutal. I mean, we've seen how many good Iowa teams go up to Madison and try to win and come away with nothing. And now we have an, an Iowa team that has struggled enormously on the road already, going into. <laughs> You know, I will, it, it is definitely a little bit of tough luck on the scheduling front that like three of their first road games are Mackey Arena, Hilton Coliseum, and the Cole Center. I mean, that is yeah. a murderer's row in terms of like nasty road environments. Like, but it is what it is. You know what? You can't do anything about it. So, but I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're going to. I'm not going to pick them to win that game. It's in it's in Madison, Wisconsin, solid. A lot of factors going against them. But at the very least, 
I think that's a good game for Iowa to show. They've got to show a lot more. I don't want to say gumption, but they just got to like no. be in it. Oof. You know, don't give up those 20, 20 to nothing scoring runs like that happened against Purdue and Iowa State and Michigan. Um, but just stay in the game, stay competitive, and you know, play with you know energy from start to finish and see what happens. They lose that way. So be it. But if they go up there again and it's another, just kind of like lukewarm effort and Wisconsin just goes on a, you know, 20 to three run and just blows the game open. And we're just, you know, killing time till the finish again. And it's just, you know, whatever, then nothing has been learned and nothing is improving and everything is set up for a very long winter. Like Elliot said at the start. Lukewarm is a really good way to describe Iowa men's basketball at this point in time. I think I found our header for the podcast and YouTube video. Now, to flip to something that's just hot, I wouldn't call it lukewarm or warm. I'd call it hot Iowa women's basketball, Caitlin Clark shooting, etc. I haven't watched as much women's basketball as Adam has watched men's basketball. And so... I'm going to flip it over to you, Mr. Jacoby, who is on the women's beat. And I told him last night, I'm so jealous. Can we flip? Can we switch? (laughs) And uh, no, that's not happening. Adam, you you tell us about that game. And what were you saying, Ross? No take back. (laughs) (laughs) No English, wrong number. (laughs) So, Adam, tell us about that, that game at the Cole Center last night or last night, yesterday, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, yesterday afternoon. No, it, it was a uh, a tremendous environment. I uh, posted on my Instagram a, a uh, sort of a, a wide pan of the lines that were trying to get into uh, the Cole Center to watch Caitlin Clark. Uh, we found out that this was the first shutout in 21 years for uh, Wisconsin women's basketball at the Cole Center. Uh, the seventh floor. What did I say? He said shutout. Oh, shut up. Oh, wasn't that <laughs> sellout? Yes. Thank you. Uh, the seventh largest uh, crowd to watch a Wisconsin women's basketball game historically, like uh, second largest against Iowa. I thought when the coach, the, so after the game, the coach hops onto the court and says, Hey, you know, stop. Hey, she's waving everybody down. You know, they have a sold out crowd for the first time forever. You want to talk to them. And she, I thought that she had said it was the second largest crowd, seventh. We we really need to, who's the president of numbers? We need to make that not rhyme anymore. Anyway, but a, a heck of an environment, uh, about 50-50 Iowa fans, Wisconsin fans. So honestly, as much as anything, kudos to the Badger fans for even getting that place half full so that only, you know, Iowa could only buy about half those tickets. Because there were some instances, especially early on in that game, where Wisconsin had it close enough that the home fans had some reason to cheer. Uh, Badgers were up pretty consistently, as a matter of fact, through the first 15 minutes of the game. And a big part of that was, stop me if this sounds familiar with the men's team, Iowa wasn't hitting shots early. Cold as ice from behind the arc. And... That's a great, great way to let a worse team hang around. And Wisconsin, I, I think, was a 20-point underdog, something like that. Was never going to win this game. And and as soon as Iowa started hitting their perimeter shots, and, and they they really did, uh, especially after halftime, uh, 
you know, it was ball game at that point. Uh, but a tremendous environment and something that's just going to be following this team around the Big Ten for the rest of the season. And they are learning to embrace that. They, uh, one thing that Coach Bluter said was, you know, at some point, if they show up and a place is half full, it's going to be a disappointment. They want that environment at this point. They want, you know, they fuel, it fuels them. They feed off of that energy. And some of it's because some of it's always going to be Hawkeye fans. And some of it's because this is exciting. Basketball is exciting. Get as many people in here. Just keep watching and, and you know, you're going to see a show. So I that is it's good to see that they've embraced that straight off the bat. And the nice thing is for them that they're good enough to embrace that. Right. It's not like, well, one, the crowds aren't going to be showing up if they're a 50, 50 team, right? (laughs) If they're a bubble team, they're not selling out the Cole center uh, as a road team, but also that they're not letting it affect their game planning, uh, their execution, and a big part of that is just the fact that this is such an old team. Uh, Caitlin Clark, uh, again, uh, with the lineup that they put out, I, I think this is going to be the last time this year. But again, Caitlin Clark was the youngest starter on that team. The all-time leading scorer just cracked 3,000 career points in college basketball, youngest starter of the five on her team. I think Hannah Stalkey is going to be back in the starting lineup sooner rather than later, so that's probably going to be about it. Uh, probably, especially for Sharon Goodman at, at starting center, she didn't have a great day, but yeah, that was for now, Caitlin Clark, the baby of the lineup. And when you can put a team full of 22, 23, 24 year olds out there in the court, they are going to be less intimidated by a crowd that is, you know, that big and also only about two thirds opposing fans. So, uh, it's it's working for them. Uh, they know how to put on a show. They play some great basketball. And again, it's, it's good to be in the big 10 because the fans are going to appreciate it on some level. And uh, they're, yeah, it was a pretty interesting game to watch. So I'm looking at the minutes for the bigs for Iowa women's basketball, Hannah Stolke off the bench, Sharon Goodman gets to start, but only plays seven minutes. And Addison O'Grady only plays four minutes. Um, what what are your thoughts there? Do they are they preferring small ball right now? Or are they sticking with Stolke um, at the five? Did she look healthy? Like where where is I? Where are they at with with all of that? Well, we did ask Coach Bluter about that after the game, and Bluter said that Stolke's no longer in minutes restrictions as she's working her way back from that uh, lower leg injury, uh, what we understand to be an ankle injury. And it was always minor, but it's something that even if you're able to be on the court, you know, if you're playing at 80%, 70%, it's going to affect, you know, the way you play. And in a player like Stolke, that explosiveness, that ability to jump and move and, and, you know, have your full complement of footwork available. That is so important to her as a player and her strengths. So she is physically better than she was against Iowa state, uh, which is helpful. And, and she said that she was really enthused by that. And a big part of that was also, she drew six fouls while she was Stokey drew six fouls while she was on the court. Didn't commit any. Meanwhile, Sharon Goodman was in quick foul trouble 
against Sarah Williams, who's Wisconsin's uh, really best player. She's a pretty skilled uh, big. And Stalky got in there and immediately started drawing fouls on Williams, basically stapled her shorts to the bench. And so Williams had 11 points in seven minutes, and then Stalky drew fouls number two and three on her, put her on the bench, and immediately Wisconsin goes from ahead to giving up an eight point or uh, an eight to zero run. And I don't think ever got the lead back after that. And so Iowa keeps extending it. They get the lead to 10 at halftime. Caitlin finally hits her first three pointer of the game, 10 seconds left in the half, but that's what gets it to double digits. They finally bring back Sarah Williams in the middle of the third quarter. Stulky's out there. And what does Stulky do? Immediately draws foul number four on an offensive foul because Williams is trying to box her out. Stulky notices that Williams has her forearm essentially like right in her face, sells it. You know, it. <laughs> there is a little bit of, you know, show personship. You, you do have to demonstrate to the ref that you are being fouled sometimes. So she sells it, but it was only after about three seconds of, you know, someone trying to <laughs> box her out by shoving her head back. So it was, it was a good call. They're going to call it, but it was one of those like, oh, Hannah Stulke just sent Wisconsin's entire game plan to hell. Like, whoa. We know she's good. And we hear from the coaches, oh, it's just a matter of confidence and figuring out how good she is. She just absolutely short-circuited everything Wisconsin was trying to do and was doing well already. Did it by herself. So I think that she's going to be starting going forward. I'd be shocked if she weren't. And if she's not, it's really just a matter of, all right, we're going to get some effort off the bench. I do think she is their closing big. And as long as the game is competitive, right? Otherwise, it's going to be O'Grady on that front too. For whatever reason, this staff just does not seem to trust O'Grady. I thought she played a better game than most of them have been this year, but you can really tell that the confidence isn't there. You watch her during warmups and you know, the footwork's there. Skill is there. Finishing isn't. And uh, I, I don't think that there's a great rapport between her and, say, Caitlin Clark. Uh, they, we've seen Elliot, I, I think you were there at the um, crossover at Kinnick. I mean, how many times did we see? I think at least twice Caitlin tried a little pocket pass to O'Grady and, you know, just sort of bounced off her hands. And, and that's just a matter of rapport that isn't there at this point. So how they fix that, I don't know. But it has had a negative effect on O'Grady's ability to get on the court. Goodman's been a beneficiary of that. But I think as Iowa moves into the Big Ten and has so many skilled big opponents that this is going to be Stulky's area to shine. And she's off her minutes restrictions as of the Wisconsin game. So her foot slash ankle slash whatever's feeling good enough. So I think this is going to be her show in the middle as long as she too can stay out of foul trouble. And Iowa will just plug in Goodman and O'Grady as they see fit um, and oh, yeah. you know, to protect the rotation. Ross, go ahead. I was going to say the other reason I think yesterday you saw very limited minutes for Goodman and O'Grady was – you know, you had a Folter playing that other than yeah. the four spot, and she was terrific yesterday. So um, when, you've, when you've got her at the four and Stulky at the five, uh, and she plays like that, then, 
you know, there just aren't minutes available for for Goodman and O'Grady. And yeah, Folter was, I thought, a really big difference maker yesterday. Like her ability to do a little bit of everything, um, rebound, score, you know, run and transition, uh, dish the ball uh, is really great. Like she is just getting better and better and really filling that kind of, you know, jack of all trades role that can elevate this team, I think. Uh, Ross, I believe it's a Jill of all trades in women's college basketball, please. <laughs> uh, now, the her teammates love her, a Fulter's teammates. And and really, I mean, there's a deep connection between these players and, and the program. It's like, it's not like she's the only te- uh, player that you can say that about, obviously. But the level of effort that a Fulter puts into rebounding, uh, to scrapping for hustle plays, uh, to I mean, you name it. She has this uh, the reputation of the big dog on the team, and she makes big dog plays. And some of that is just like, all right, I'm stronger than you. I'm bigger than you. You've got the ball. I want it, and I'm going to take it. And, you know, as long as you don't foul somebody, sometimes it really doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And, you know, what we call 50-50 balls, you put a falter in that mix and I was a lot more than 50. <laughs> it suddenly it turns she, into a 70-30 ball, an 80-20 ball. And that's such a difference maker on a team like this. Ross, go ahead. I mean, she's coming off the bench and she's second on the team in rebounding um, and leading the team in steals per yeah. game. So, like, that is just a tremendous influence for a player that plays, like, 15 to 20 minutes a game. Like, she is just incredibly impactful when she's on. I guess she's averaging 20.7 minutes a game. Um, like, she's just making a tremendous impact uh, when she's on the floor. Yeah, and and it's something that's in, encouraged by coaches, players, etc. Like, that's her role and everybody knows it. Everybody encourages it. And that is on a team like this where, you know, Caitlin's going to get her points. Kate Martin is, you know, going to score sometimes. Hannah Stolke's going to get her points probably more often than, than most players. But, you know, scoring is never going to be a problem for this team. It's it. And they have no shortage of players just making those smart hustle plays. And Molly Davis, Kate Martin are both, absolutely in that same boat as a Fulter, but a Fulter is the, I'm going to get down and dirty. I'm going to be on the floor and I'm going to be on the floor first. And that ball belongs to me. And boy, this team needs that in a big, big way. Uh, McKenna Warnock was that for this team. I thought Iowa was going to miss that from Warnock this year. A Fulter is all that and more. I, I, I can't tell you how impressed I am with that. So yeah, they're they're number four. They're going to be playing in Des Moines against Cleveland State, who is nine and one this year, won 30 games last year. You know, this will probably be a challenge more than fans think. I, I don't think Cleveland State's going to keep it close for 40, but I think it's going to be an entertaining game. And I think Iowa's going to have their hands full for at least 10, 15 minutes on this one. And, you know, can't complain about that. I'll ask this question and then we can flip to talk a little bit about the portal. I tweeted this during one of the games that I was able to watch. And this will be my second New Orleans Pelicans reference in one uh, podcast, which is a new record. Previous New Orleans Pelican. Now he's with the Knicks. 
I compared Sidney Folter to Josh Hart. Ooh. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. So the only thing, like a Folter is also a built player, and and it's you don't really see it unless you're looking for it. But it's it's especially evident in the 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 little pregame video that they shot at Hancher. They, they, they got the musical instruments and all that. And a Fulter gives them one of those like two bicep flexes, you know, the classic thing. It's like, oh, what's up, guns? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. And and so once you see like, oh, oh, no, she's really jacked. You can say, oh, okay, so of course she's out muscling players. She's out and, and also, you know, skilled enough to, you know, make certain passes. So I would say she is she's most reminiscent for me. Uh something closer to almost dream on green, but without the BS. Like I don't think she's ever gonna get herself suspended. But that sort of like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. Do I have a three-pointer? Sure. Do I can I rebound? Sure. Can I pass? You bet. Am I gonna make some smart defensive plays? Absolutely. Like that is a winning contributor on your team. And it's especially great when whenever they're on the floor and they're the fifth offensive option, right? That's that's what you want them to be. You want them to be capable. And the Fulcher's capable on offense. But when they're able to be that fifth option, they're able to expend all their effort on the other plays, like the rebounding, the hustle, the this, the that, and even some of the stuff that doesn't show up in the score sheet, as uh, Coach Bleeder said after the game against Wisconsin. Like, she can focus her effort on that, and it's exactly what Iowa needs. So, yeah, she's she's sort of the 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 untoxic Draymond Green of this team. I'll put it that way. The untoxic Draymond Green. I like it. Now we'll wrap up the the pod in a moment here, but one thing we talked about prior to recording was the fact that Iowa hasn't made any moves in terms of bringing anybody in or getting any commitments out of the transfer portal at this point in time. It's a bit confusing currently, but then you also factor in that they don't have an offensive coordinator hired and they've got a bowl game ahead, but they also brought in uh, Eric all and Cade McNamara prior to their bowl game last year. So I think some folks are just thinking what's going on. And does it come down to the fact that they don't have an offensive coordinator they can point to because and and because uh, they don't know what guys are doing on the defense? Like, but maybe they keep that internal. Like, what are your guys theories? Because to me, it's it's O.C. and secondarily, it's who's coming back. I mean, I think the lack of an O.C. is obviously going to slow down any offensive additions from the transfer portal no one's going to come uh until they know who, who's going to be the main you know the court the coach on that side of the ball so i get that one in terms of the you know returning players or not i think that's probably a factor but you know i also think that that's probably the coaches have a good idea who's coming back and who's not and um you know if, if there's areas where they know they need to prioritize then they ought to be doing that and you know getting guys in for visits and um you know getting getting movement going there because if you're waiting until after the bowl game, it's too late. You know, the, the, the portal is going to be picked over at that point and there, there will still be some good players left. I mean, Iowa added Nick Jackson after, yeah, after the bowl game last year and he was a phenomenal addition, but 
I think the a lot of players are going to already have new homes then. So uh, it, I think it does behoove them to to get going a little bit in these next couple of weeks. And, you know, if there's areas where they want to, you know, enhance through the portal, they hopefully need to make some movement there uh, within these next couple of weeks. Adam, what are you seeing? Yeah, it, it sort of seems like the same boat. I, the last time that we all recorded together, I mentioned the anecdote about how Dejan Parker ended up at Iowa because he didn't know who his coach was going to be at UVA, where he had been committed at that time. And again, like, didn't really contribute on the field for Iowa this year, but I know UVA missed him at tackle, right? So there is a very tangible reason why Iowa needs to sort this out. And and there have been reports that they're already uh, interviewing for OC. So there, there is a little bit of What's word I'm looking for? Uh, um... Movement. What's that? Movement. Uh, a, a little bit of uh, incentive, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, there, there is a reason for them, an impetus, if you will, to be moving on this sooner rather than later. Right? It's not like Kirk thinks oh, this can wait till January. I don't think he thinks that. And the fact that we're already seeing movement on that replacement would indicate that he doesn't think that. But it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, there's been some interviews. It's another to have somebody in hand. And we haven't heard from any recruits yet. And listeners, we've been asking. We haven't heard that there's a, you know, succession in, already in place yet. So, that does have to be resolved one way or the other. Otherwise, you can't blame recruits for saying, no, I want to know who's going to be coaching me next year. I want to know who the coordinator is. I want to know what offense we're going to run. Those, especially if they're coming off the transfer portal and their window for when they want to contribute and how long they have to contribute is even shorter than a high school kid. Now, a 17-year-old, you know, they'll... They'll walk into whatever you want. Somebody who's coming off the transfer portal already knows what the deal is with college football. They already know what they're walking away from. They want to be walking into a better position, whether that is more playing time, whether that's a better coach, better strength and conditioning, like a, a better path to the NFL. There's any number of ways that it can be beneficial for them, but there aren't a whole lot of ways that don't involve knowing who your coordinator is. So this is a tremendously important hire for Iowa one way or the other. And hopefully it gets from the interview stage to the announcement stage. And yeah, it's going to be tough to announce that while Brian Ferentz is still technically on staff and a, you know, the sitting offensive coordinator. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's not going to be fun. It's not going to be fun for the Ferentz family but that's what the money's for <laughs> that is that's the game that's football right like you and when we're talking about the example that you want to set for these young kids for the guys like we've heard from kirk uh, at these press conferences like 
Yeah. When he talks, whenever he talks about Noah Shannon, it's all about these life lessons that you've got to learn and they're tough life lessons. And boy, Noah's been through way more than somebody his age should have gone through at this point, especially for somebody as talented as he is. Right. Those are, those are tough life lessons for Noah Shannon to learn. How about the guys on the staff? How are they, how are they applying these life lessons? How are they representing themselves in this, you know, adversity that they're facing? And, you know, is, is it a matter of hiding Brian from the press until his contract runs out? Is that the example you want to set? Is it a matter of, you know, being coy about how we want to address all that? Is it a matter of, oh, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make that announcement while Brian's still on the staff. Too bad. You know, like want to and feelings are not really part of this equation. They shouldn't be. And and if they are, you know, that's, there's other walks of life for that. But, you know, it sucks, but that's what the money's for. This is football and Iowa needs to get that sorted out ASAP. One thing I'll clarify before we get out of here too is Something that you said, Adam, made me think of it is, you know, just because it hasn't been announced doesn't necessarily mean it's not in the works is that uh, or at least the hiring process, whatever, going through rec- or, uh, interviews, et cetera. With the portal, it's not like they haven't reached out to anybody, but what we haven't seen is players going on visits, players reporting offers. That's the yeah. confusion. That's where the confusion lies. So we have reported couple individuals that Iowa has reached out to, and you can see who those are on our premium board at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. If you're not a subscriber yet, if you are a subscriber, well, one, we appreciate you. Two, head over there, check out who those players are that Iowa has reached out to. So we will wrap it up here on a hot cast. Appreciate you very much for tuning in to this episode brought to you by iowa.rivals.com. Like I said, if you're not a premium subscriber yet, you can do that today, iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. And that link is always in the description of our podcast. Subscribe here on YouTube as well. That way you don't miss an episode. Same thing for Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a rate and review. Hit that thumbs up on YouTube as well. Thank you very much for doing so. Not only is it good for promoting the podcast, but it makes us very happy. For now, I'm Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by Ross Binder and Adam Jacoby from Go Iowa Awesome. We will see you next time.